We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Uh, the Laker Film Room podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And right, right after we got done recording on Friday, got a bombshell of a trade request from Kyrie Irving. And... Spent the weekend with our heads swirling a bit. Lakers had a dumb loss. They shouldn't have lost in New Orleans to wrap up a two and three road trip on Saturday. And then by Sunday, Kyrie was traded. And so this has, uh, it had, you know, league wide implications. D, this was a guy that, you know, I don't think it was on anybody's trade radar. Lord, Lord knows in our, uh, in our text threads and everything like that, he was not a name that has come up since the summer. Um, and he ends up in Dallas being traded for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney Smith, uh, first round pick and multiple seconds. So, there's a great Lakers angle to this, but before we get into that, D, talk to me about where your head was at over the course of this wild weekend. Well, I mean, it was so there's so many angles, right? Like, I don't know. I try to listen to a lot of national podcasts when I listen to basketball stuff. I read as much Lakers stuff as I can, and obviously, we follow the Lakers as closely as possible, but. Because we're so dialed into Lakers 24-7, I like to get national perspective on things. Mm -hmm. I also like to get national perspective on the Lakers because I think that that's a decent barometer as to how the team is viewed from like alternate fan bases besides internally. Mm -hmm. I All I need to do is check my Twitter mentions to see how Lakers fans feel about the Lakers. Mm -hmm. it, it, and so when the Kyrie trade request came, there was a lot of, well, there goes Kyrie again. And just another example of him being disruptive to the Nets. And then lots of quick discussions, Mike, about like what his value would be around the league and how people would be 
dumb to give up anything of value for him. And and those are those are debates worth having, I think, about like considering his potential contract requests and him be walking into a potential free agent year or to a free agent year, not potential. And, and just what it was going to take in order to both secure his services and then keep him and then considering how disruptive he's been in the past to, to his teams, what his new contract might look like. And I think that overshadowed a lot how good he is at basketball and and then how you try to balance all that in in a deal. And so instantly my first reactions were, well, geez, are they going to trade him? And if he gets traded, what is he going to go for? And how plugged in were these initial sort of responses to this trade request about what he might go for in a deal? And very quickly, there were, well, shortly after a lot of that initial speculation, several teams reportedly came into the fold as potential suitors for Kyrie Irving, right? And I don't think it should be a surprise that the Lakers were reportedly one of those teams. They had been reportedly one of those teams since the summer as a potential suitor for Kyrie Irving. But Dallas, the team that got him, and then a couple of other teams were reported in the Suns and the Clippers. And suddenly there's a market for Kyrie Irving. And so I just want to kick it there to you because my initial, where my brain was at initially was, well, geez, is he actually going to fetch a real package? And it turns out that, hey, he actually did fetch a real package. And, And so that initial disconnect to me is one of the things that I got hung up on originally, which was like, oh, well, he may not go for anything to like, oh, he went for two starting players and a fair amount of future draft capital when he's in a walk season as a free agent. And that's kind of a lot. So I'm just sort of trying to wrap my head around that part initially. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts as sort of like a league wide observer as well. Yeah. I think that you start to get uncomfortable with the cost given what the market is, but each team has its own window as to whether that's worth it. Uh, and it's more complicated, I think, from a Lakers standpoint it, at this point to make any trade by these two conflicting things. One being where the Lakers are uh, in sort of the Western Conference right now and 25 and 29. And yet what they think they might be able to be with LeBron and AD and with some role players that seem to be coming along with the trade that was already made with Rui Hachimura and, you know, a team that on a given night can beat anybody in the league and then on another given night can lose to anybody in the league. And what that path would look like to actually win the title at this point, like getting in what what probably uh, I shouldn't say probably we'll we'll see what happens with it with a potential run. But, you know, it's going to be fighting uphill, right? It's going to be fighting uphill, whether it's the play in and being a road team on the plan and then getting in and being a, a road seed to one of the top couple seeds, blah, blah, blah. So there, there's all of that going on. And then what kind of player comes in and how much of a difference that player can make not just for a title potentially this year or a push towards that, but then what could happen next season. And then in the case of the Kyrie Irving trade, if you're any team that trades for him, what is the extension going to be uh, assuming that there would be one and that those conversations would have to be had because what Darius just mentioned and all of the capital that had to go out. Because typically when somebody has a deal that's expiring, that's when you don't get that much because they can say, and that's how they can dictate their market by saying, I want to go to this team or that team, and I'm not necessarily re-signing, and we can have those conversations later. So it's just a risk. And sometimes it works out for the team that makes that trade, in this case, Dallas. We'll see. 
And then sometimes it, it doesn't at all. And so many things going into it. But Darius, that was my first takeaway, too, that the price for a player that, you know, is that has a, a very specific set of skills and also isn't necessarily always the most reliable uh, in terms of being available uh, and fitting to, to whatever that need is. So I'll be curious to hear where Pete starts uh, with this as well. And I'm, I'm sure we have plenty to go here as we I mean, go around the circle. Kyrie Irving's the starting point guard of the Eastern Conference All-Star team. And so this type of draft compensation, like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the way that basketball is covered, people get in their own heads and it's like, it becomes this self-feeding narrative where it's like, no, that's not actually the planet that we live on where Kyrie Irving barely gets traded for anything. And, you know, to to a team that, like Dallas, that has really been looking for a second guy next to Luka. And like you said, D, he wasn't the only, or uh, Dallas was not the only team offering significant compensation. There are reports that Chris Paul and Jay Crowder were being offered for Kyrie Irving as well. And so I want to take this in a, in a direction of looking at it from Brooklyn's perspective, because... I, I'm, I'm about to say this because from a Lakers perspective, if I didn't feel we were sufficiently aggressive in pursuing this trade, I'd be very upset right now. I just don't think that's what happened. And so shift it to looking at the world from Brooklyn's point of view. Let's try to try to do that for a moment. After a two and six start, they fired Steve Nash, hired LA's own Pasadena Muir High School Jacques Vaughn to be their head coach, and they've turned it around right away. Uh, Nicholas Claxton has gotten better. They're a better defensive team. They've been one of the better teams by record since that eight-game start in the whole league. And so they've kind of got a, a good thing going. And if I'm in that position, and I have Kevin Durant, who's in his mid-30s, a lot of times when we talk about these trades, I think we way over-index on the value of tomorrow, whether it's pick protections, draft capital, young players. But the way that these trades are often looked at is if you're going to trade a guy who's currently good, you're usually looking to get a, a collection of young players, draft capital, and perhaps some financial relief, of which that's an aspect of this trade too. In Brooklyn's case, to me, they probably are and should be calibrated toward winning now, toward winning, toward making a run at the title this year. As much as we've talked on this podcast about how bunched up things are and how there's no clear favorite, that's how a lot of teams are talking around the league. And that's absolutely the mentality that Brooklyn should be in. And to do that, if you needed to, if you needed to do that and you needed to trade Kyrie Irving, what would be the best way to do that? So, Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy who has history with Brooklyn. He's a guy that's played there that earned his current contract and has taken a circuitous or circuitous route all the way back to Brooklyn. But he is a scoring on-ball guard, similar to Kyrie Irving stylistically. I don't want to say they're similar players in terms of, of, of talent, but he's somewhat of a poor man's Kyrie in that he can fill that same spot that Kyrie plays, not to the same level, but does the same types of things. Brooklyn, for as well as they've played since that start, since that start, has a big Boston Celtics problem. They get stomped by Boston every time they play them. Most recently, they were down by 30 in the first quarter. And a big part of the reason for that is they're just paper thin. They're a team that Boston is so much bigger than them. Boston always goes through them. And that's basically how their games generally go. And so Dorian Finney-Smith is one of the better, like, 6'7", can defend, but can also space the floor reliably and be that type of 3 and D wing that, that we we talk so much about. And so if you can get that 
plus draft capital, a future first and multiple future seconds, that to me checks a lot of boxes for Brooklyn in a way that I just don't think we had the trade offer that package to do that. You heard Austin's name come up. You heard Max's name come up, which I think in some ways is a big win for the scouting department because one is a undrafted free agent. The other guy is a second round pick that we bought. But ultimately, Austin will help you today. Max is more of a down the line type of guy. But that's not Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. And so I just wanted to communicate that, D, is that I think a lot of times we can view the value of a return and a pick as being this future thing. Brooklyn got two good players today in a season that they're trying to make a championship run on. Yeah, they got two starters from a team who is a top five or six team in the West. Mm -hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie starts for the Mavs and Dorian Finney-Smith starts for the Mavs. They are quality role players and... Dinwiddie, in his own way, can be an impact offensive player. He's probably best suited to be a sixth man, but that's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and and Finney Smith is the prototypical three and D wing. Like if we were to pivot this discussion to like Dallas, and what they got was Kyrie Irving, who is a fantastic offensive player and someone who can play in the clutch and can do a bunch of different things. Um, but what Dallas lost was a defensive wing, the type of player that mm -hmm. Mike values a ton. That prototypical 3 and D player who is just super useful to every team around the league. If you listen to, and I was listening to, I want to say the Hoop Collective pod, Mike, but it was in the aftermath of the trade request that came from Kyrie. And Tim McMahon spoke about um, he floated Dallas very early as like, I think, I think Dallas is like the team that's really going to push hard for Kyrie Irving. And he started to formulate potential packages of uh, players. And Finney Smith was really that player that he's like, if I'm Brooklyn, like he's the guy I want. And if I'm Dallas, that's the guy I don't want to give up. Mm -hmm. And like the turn and I'm guessing I wasn't in the room, obviously, but I'm guessing the negotiations around whether that Kyrie Irving was going to go to to the Mavs, Mike, a lot of that was going to be based off of, all right, well, yeah, our, our package request ask starts with Dorian Finney-Smith. And if you're Dallas, you're just like, well, damn it, right? Like, what are we going to do about that? KD has been apparently very complimentary of Finney-Smith in the past. KD knows what wins he knows too this is like oh if i've got royce o'neill and dorian finney smith right well right next to me mm -hmm. that might mean i don't have to defend jason tatum that's right right or jalen brown for an extended period and that's where kd when they played in the playoffs last last season that was one of the places where kd just didn't have like he couldn't do everything he couldn't be like right. oh i gotta guard jason tatum and i gotta score 40 every Every single night. And so to speak to Pete's point, Brooklyn made a as salvageable as a trade that they could make, I think, in order to remain competitive this season and putting Kevin Durant in the position where it's just like, hey, bro, we did our best. Like we got you a a, a ball handling scoring guard who replaces our ball handling scoring guard and another defensive wing. And we got some draft capital where in a similar position to the Lakers, I think like we got stuff in 2027 and 2029. We'll try to trade that now mm -hmm. if we can, in order to upgrade this roster to give ourselves the best chance. And I think that's what Brooklyn did 
obviously. And that wasn't the type of package that reportedly the Lakers had on the table in order to try to get a Kyrie Irving. And from those other teams' perspectives, they're probably just like, well, could we have done something different? And probably not. Like, it looks like they got what they got. And that's that. And 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 so good for Brooklyn. I think in the second half of the pod, we'll probably talk a little bit more about where the Lakers go from here. But did you have any thoughts, Mike, on like the Brooklyn side of this and like what their perspective might have been or obviously like your view on the package that they got? I think Brooklyn did great. I think it's a it's it's a good deal for them to still have a chance this season um, and to kind of move on from what's been a, a difficult stretch with uh, with what happened with, you know, acquiring the players that they did and the stars that they did. And then at some point having all three demand trades uh, for different reasons or request trades, however mm-hmm. you want to, however you want to word it. And just considering there are what, 28 games left in the regular season, you know, what they got moving forward. Um, you know, Dinwiddie is a, has 21 million next year, which is a lot. Finney Smith has a really good contract uh, moving forward. So like, I think that's a kind of a different thing, but also to get the picks, and then just have have that allow for a certain amount of future flexibility. All that's great uh, to, to just put it back into the to the context of the Lakers and who still have a chance to make a move right uh, coming up with the deadline in a couple of days. It's just it's this whole simple art of negotiation. And Brooklyn ended up being in a stronger position than I think they and many teams would have thought that they would have been with all of the narratives earlier this season uh, and into the off season. And they capitalized on that. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the degree to which you're going to hear a lot of kinds of different reporting as to what the Lakers actually did or didn't float out there as to what an offer would have been and whether they actually even made one. Um, I just thought that the, there was a certain point where, where the price like in any deal uh, gets to be so high that it becomes uncomfortable. And in this case, maybe, maybe whatever it was, as Pete just detailed, Brooklyn just saw in in the Dallas offer um, as being what they wanted more than what the Lakers could provide, period. I also don't like this deal for Dallas much uh, and don't think that this helps them a ton um, as they as you look at their entire roster and into what you really need around Luka. And there are, there are parts of that that we don't have to get into all now, but it also had me thinking about what a three-star build versus a two-star build is at the stage of the career that LeBron and AD are at. Um, versus the stage mm. that, that Luke is at versus KD is at. That's another whole topic. Um, like you yeah. said, Pete, this is like the big tree and there are all these different branches down that we could select off. But uh, let's let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, take that break and pick one of them coming back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, ultimately, from the Lakers perspective, if I thought that, again, if I thought we weren't aggressive enough or that we had a package that could have gotten him, I would be upset right now. But the fact that Brooklyn also did not wait until Thursday, which is the actual trade deadline, tells me like taking a Lakers trade, say it's picks and or young players, whether or not we offered that or not, like there's different reporting. I I, I think that we were aggressive, but whether or not we offered that or not, it's a a very different path than trading for two current starters, right? Like in terms of players that can play today, Dinwiddie and DFS, or honestly, I'm if Chris Paul and Jay Crowder was on the table, I don't know why they didn't take that trade because that seems like the best win now package to me, but that's not for me to decide. Either way, the Lakers do not have that package to offer, right? Like if we had something like that to offer, I would be like, why didn't we offer it? But I, it's just not the case. So Where does that leave us now? In some ways, it leaves us in the exact same place we were before this crazy weekend, D. But how all of this went down does matter, I think, because there is that quote from the first day of training camp from media day where Rob is like, we have to make the right trade. But when you do have LeBron on the team, you have this obligation to build out a championship caliber team. And so where are we now, D? Um, I think you said it right, that we're in a very similar position to where things stood before. As someone who tries to always look at things from like the people perspective and like the human perspective, there's definitely the basketball side of things. There is the like, okay, well, trade deadlines on Thursday and the Lakers have all of these opportunities potentially to, or they have, they still have avenues in order to try to improve their roster, whether that's a big move, whether it's a small move, whether it's yada, 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 yada. And like, we can, we will get into that over the next couple of days. And if there is a trade made, we'll analyze it from that perspective and whatever. One of the things that's always interesting to me is when rumors happen and when news leaks happen, And when opportunities arise, people start to view their current lot in life through this new potential outlook on life as to what could have been, right? Mm. It's just like everyone goes through life with, I think everyone's had in their life at some point or another, like this idea of the one that got away. And a lot of times that's framed through like some significant other, some partner, some, you know, the high school sweetheart or the college person that was very fleeting, whatever. But it's not, it's not always have to be that it could be like that job that you had or that internship or that call that you thought like, Oh, I'll, I'll turn this offer down. And then suddenly down the line, you're like, Oh wait, that turned into that. Like that would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so you can't put toothpaste back in the tube to a certain extent. So mm-hmm. Mike, you were there on Saturday after the game, the Lakers lost 
a basketball game that they should have won. Pete, Pete mentioned that that earlier. And after the game, there were two different lines of questioning that were interesting to me. One was LeBron James got asked about Kyrie Irving. The last time LeBron was asked specifically about a player was when he got asked about Anthony Davis. When Anthony Davis was still on New Orleans, it's funny. It's just like, hey, what's in the water with like New Orleans? Um, and he got asked about AD and then he talked about AD some. And then he went on this other sort of side rant where he started to talk about give me every player in the league, right? Like Luka Doncic and Kevin Durant. And he sort of made, right? And so he went on that route. And then on, so that's one piece of this. And then Russell Westbrook got asked after the game about like, hey, you're in trade rumors again. And what does that mean to you? And, and, and so I, before we talk about like, what do the Lakers do, do next? Like I'm zooming in more to like the people part of this and the psychology of this and just the sort of the mental aspect. And, and do you have any thoughts on, on any of that stuff at all, Mike? Like we often talk about these guys like, well, they're professionals. And LeBron mentioned that too. Like, like we've got what one rookie on the team, everyone knows that it's a business. Like there's going to be stuff like this, that, that, that happens. And that's certainly one, one perspective, but there's another perspective, which was, hey, the Lakers had an opportunity to potentially improve their team and that did not happen for them. And there are several more days to try to do that and we'll see what happens in those days. And then Russ being included in rumors again is another angle. And so as someone who's covered the league for a long time and been in locker rooms, many of them, like how do you see that part of things playing out? Or am I sort of overblowing that? And these guys are just going to go on and do their thing regardless because they're NBA professionals. I suppose it's a yes and no, right? It's a little bit of both, but the the thing that I do try to get a pulse on by being there uh, is that the energy of these games as we often talk about in a regular season and what that energy and what that expectation of what a team thinks it can do is significant. And I went into that New Orleans game thinking that this was going to be a tough game for the Lakers to win, even if, even if they played well. Uh, and they did play mostly well in the first half. AD was terrific. And he and LeBron specifically, you know, because, and how could they not be, uh, are asked to do so much. And I think the energy of those two in doing the little things Throughout, a, throughout the course mm-hmm. of an 82-game regular season is going to be difficult to maintain based on what the other team is going to give them. So in, in the max effort that you, that you knew New Orleans, New Orleans was going to put out. And they still probably have this game won if they don't make a couple of uh, unfortunate mistakes at the end of the third quarter that made me think a bit like the inbounds pass uh, with LeBron and Russ that Marcus Smart stole in that Boston game. When, when the other team just gets a real sense of that the the momentum has shifted and that you can feel like that in the building. And when you then look at it and think LeBron James, 40 minutes, Anthony Davis, 38, I in games like that is as difficult as it might be to resist would always try to keep those minutes down and essentially force the other guys on the team, the role players to, to play and to do more. And you're probably going to lose a couple of games, but this was, this was what happened last season with Vogel early on where in, in a Darwin for kind of for one of the first times said at post game, well, other guys have to play better if LeBron's not going to play 40 minutes. And I just think that the the energy level alone, that 
that is the thing that's not going to be sustainable, uh, especially when you look at where the Lakers are in the standings. So to bring a potential trade into this and thinking a little bit more big picture and, and to kind of kick it to Pete, if you're bringing in a third player and it's of the the star variety, what is that player's energy level like? What is that player's ability to stay on the basketball floor for X amount of 82 games? And because it's going to cost you in the case that the Lakers have right now, that player is Westbrook. Westbrook is the player that that checks some of those boxes in certain ways of availability and and mm-hmm. energy, although it doesn't always come in the ways that complement LeBron and ADs. Um, it has better this year defensively, but thinking more about how last year worked and the, the typical way that Westbrook goes. But in whatever the roster is going to be moving forward is are you better off with more sort of good players in that middle range and guys that can take a certain amount of usage or are you better off uh, getting one uh, type of player? It's just, it's just my, my where LeBron is at in his career next year being year 21, where AD is at in terms of, of availability, I think is something that that's important to consider, especially if giving up a lot of assets to get that type of player. And in the trade that was, that was being, or the rumors that were being discussed, what Brooklyn was looking at acquiring uh, for, for Kyrie at the deadline, again, take the Lakers out of this for any team. All of those things combined to me would have would have been a lot uh, for for the model that I'm talking about and how you sustain winning with what with where the Lakers are at uh, with LeBron and AD right now. I, I love this framing of the conversation because in watching games since AD came back from injury starting in San Antonio, I haven't liked our energy collectively at all. The only game where I thought we brought it sufficiently was against Boston. And the two biggest culture, culprits in that have been LeBron and AD. One of the things, it's more about like a mental checkout or going on autopilot that a lot of times it happens at the same time. And that's how you give up a 42-point quarter is when you're fo- starting four and you're starting five or just kind of going through through the motions, you can be pretty bad on defense. And there's, you know, it's very chicken or the egg. Like, you know, if they weren't playing 40 minutes, maybe they'd have more energy and more focus and, and whatnot, certainly. Um, but in terms of roster construction, that's exactly the question that we should be asking. And I think the answer to it I, I, is I think both models are valid depending on who the player that you're acquiring is. And so if that star third player is a perfect fit, um, now, can that be in skill or does it have to be in motor in an area or and in areas where LeBron and AD can drop off? And I think right now, especially it's for different reasons. I haven't watched AD and been like, oh, he totally trusts his foot now. And his, you know what I mean? Like he's, I think, still kind of ramping up to where he needs to be, whereas LeBron is taking his foot off the gas after putting it on the gas during a period where we needed to win games. But he really doesn't like playing going that hard at that point of the season. And so I think those two kind of elevators are going in the different different directions for a different reason. And so how good do the players around you need to be to be able to make up for that? I do think a certain level of energy and effort and uh, reliability on a day-to-day basis is important if you are going to get a third star. And that said, as Laker fans, D, we've seen both. We've seen the James Worthy, Glenn Rice, Lamar Odom type of guys really operate well in a, a three-star system. We've also seen seen Shaq and Kobe and a bunch of rugged role dudes. And so that to me, Mike, is kind of on the role player end of things. If we're going to go role player route, all them dudes got to be able to defend. And so when we kick around like trade offers and requests and things like that, if I'm looking at role players coming back, all those dudes got to be a plus on that end of the floor. 
I'm still focusing on the individual mindsets of these people and of the people involved because your body does not go unless your brain tells you to. And so you talked yeah. about the potential to check out and some of what we've seen from LeBron, I think, is as much a physical response to being worn down mentally. We yeah. haven't talked mm-hmm. to, at all about like the chase for the record within this context, but I think that's another piece of this. It's I don't think it's substantial. Yeah. I don't think it's something that is overwhelming him. He spoke to this the other day, but he's getting closer. And this is a big achievement. And it's not like going from number seven to number six it's not like going from number even four to number three to me it's not like it's different than passing kobe it's different than passing michael jordan it is you are becoming the all-time leading scorer and he compared it to the home run record the other day right which is something Mm -hmm. that is like just a big it's a big deal is all I'm going to I say. I don't think there's a more sacred record in the NBA than this one. Is, is it's there the one only one that matters. Of? Like, I mean, they yeah. did the whole thing for like, oh, Steph, like you broke everyone's three-point record. And like, that was nice. And the pageantry around that was great. And I love celebrating the players. I think we need to celebrate the players as much as possible. Yeah. It's the Me game too. I love. And the more and more that we, like, I loved seeing Bill Russell every year at the finals like i love seeing these dude dudes in the stands i think it's the best thing for the game honestly so in getting back to my point about like the psychological aspect of this and it's sort of where i was going when i asked mike my original question role player with energy great star player with skill great like i don't care there's so many different things that can help this team right now that it's just like like the help is going to be the help. You're trying to improve the roster. I think that you'll try to get there. Rui's been helpful. The return of Austin Reeves will be helpful. I'm not necessarily talking about what helps and what doesn't here, because odds are if you're improving, if you're making a trade, it's to improve the team. I'm looking for what's going to actually get these guys back into the spirit of like, oh, hell yeah, we're on it mm-hmm. right now. Right? Like, I'm looking for something that's going to kickstart. And, and 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 sort of give this group life mentally. And now I get what Mike is saying too. It's just like the energy level from LeBron and AD and how do you support that and a night-to-night thing. Like I get that. And I do think at that point, whatever role players on the team just has to go hard and they have to stop making as many mistakes as as they've been making point blank. But one of the ways to get something out of the team is to lift your stars up. And there's lots of ways to do that, but losing these games is bringing them down. Mm-hmm. It's bringing them down. And the level of effort that LeBron had to play with in order to keep them afloat, he's going to pull back some because it's impossible for him to play that way all of the time. But mm-hmm. one of the things that can lift up the team is joy. Now you're going to feel pretty good about winning games, but also there's a amount of like reanimation and energy Pete that you can get from a trade where you just feel like, Oh damn. Like mm-hmm. I saw the, the, the Rui trade. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, just on a smaller level, we saw it with with Rui. And so how important is that, though, D? like that idea that do you think that that's necessary to make another trade to catalyze that? Because I think one external factor, external factor that will help quite a bit on this uh, level is the All-Star break coming up. I think that in many ways, guys are tired. And if you watch basketball just around the league, there are a lot of blowouts right now, a lot of kind of weird standings thing, like what the hell's going on with Memphis? Uh, we had the Pelicans have a 10 game losing streak. This is a tough type time of season just in general, you know what I mean? And so when you combine that with sort of a pushing your foot on the gas a little more for a guy like LeBron, I do think some of what you're saying is alleviated by a week worth of rest. Now, that said, though, the type of energy that a trade brings is, is different. Yeah. And so, Mike, that's sort of that's sort of where I'm at with this, right? Like, I know that you weren't around the team when... Um, it was a year before you you came on with with the Lakers. And when the Lakers got Pal Gasol, that was just like, oh damn, we got Pal Gasol. Like we got Pal. That's amazing, mm-hmm. right? But there's also smaller trades can lead to that too when they just fit and they just work. Right. And it's just like, oh, this dude can do this. Like I remember even when the Lakers traded and they got Shannon Brown, and you're just like, Everyone thought it was an Adam Morrison trade, but it was actually a Shannon mm-hmm. Brown trade, right? And mm-hmm. suddenly Shannon Brown is getting dunks and he's like out there in the open court and he's like getting crazy blocks at like the top of the square and like they're calling fouls, but guys are just like, holy shit. Like it's just one of those things that sort of animate you and get you going. And the Lakers need some of that right now because they're just sort of in the mud a little bit and the all-star break will help and all this other stuff will help but you know what will feel like a loss too is if they get to friday and it's the same Mm -hmm. team i feel like that's going to be looked Mm -hmm. at as a loss and that's the psychological piece of this that i think we cannot divorce from the current state of the team it's a great point and i i actually don't Mm -hmm. i think that it goes hand in hand with what i was trying to say about getting through a season energy wise and all of that, because if, if a player that comes in for in it is mentally perceived to be going to help, well, what ultimately has to happen is that player just has to help and has to fit right away. Like, so mm-hmm. uh, it's still going to end up being about the basketball mentally. A trade is going to feel good in a certain way in the trade that, Oh, this guy's coming in. Rui Hachimura. What's he like? And you tend to look at his good clips more than you tend to look at his, his back clips. And then when he comes in and he plays pretty well and the energy is great, then that gives the team a certain level of boost, um, as does Anthony Davis returning from injury. You know, up until the point where, when Anthony Davis is playing, how close to Anthony Davis is he going to look? How often, how many of the four quarters that he's on the court is he going to be able to fully engage uh, with his legs, getting up and down a transition? And that's the stuff that that I'm talking about. So, I totally agree with the mental perception of a trade coming in. Pau Gasol is a great example, but the biggest reason why the Lakers were excited about that is because it was a absurdly ridiculous trade in, in their favor for a great player that fit perfectly. When they traded for Meta World Peace at the time, Ron Artest, uh, that was a great like trade. He is a really good player who fit in perfectly with what that team wanted the next year. And so if the player is right and if the fit is right, then I think that the energy, in other words, it has to sustain and it only sustains if it works and it only sustains if the basketball fit works because you can always get that initial boost. Um, it's just like with a relationship. But then when you wake up that next day and, you know, maybe either the other person 
um, looks a certain. Well, I won't get into what a, a, meta, a dating. Wow. Meta, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about Mike Trudeau hookups right now. Yeah, Wait, no, like, some strobe hoodies. Let's tell us more about you waking up the next day next to someone, Mike. Well, I was watching Love Island with my wife the other day, the British version. Oh, gotcha. We were there. There are certain. This is the greatest. By the way, I don't love reality TV that much, other than viewing it viewing it as like a producer would which i do think is entertaining but that show was good that show was good and there there's a certain feel when everybody gets to the island and then but what's that talk like on day three (laughs) okay and you have to have the substance has to be there and also the reality of what is given up for that um to be there in this case i'm talking about draft picks of course has to be there as well so i i'm just i'm not I'm agreeing. I'm just adding a little bit more context as to how things play out in an actual NBA locker room day to day. No, that's absolutely the case, Mike. And and the basketball has to work out. And I think that from now until Thursday, when the trade deadline happens, we're going to have more talks around that. And so we'll be back tomorrow to see uh, to, to discuss a little more about that. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot. The He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.